Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. James chapter 4, if you have a Bible. And uh, this is our third and final week of our series, Friends and Family. And uh, we talked week one about sort of our relationship and uh, the way it works in the home. And then last week, Shane talked to us about friends and how to be a good friend and how to have friends. And we're going to sort of continue on the friendship idea um, uh, tonight. So James chapter 4, verse 1, we'll read it and then we'll kind of unpack what we're talking about. It says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So what do you think? I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And you do not have because you do not ask God. But when you do ask, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is kind of what we want to talk about tonight. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We're going to talk about this idea of of friends with God and friends with the world. I've titled this message, Real Friend, Real Friend. Um, Let's pray, and then we'll walk through it. Jesus, we thank you again for these moments. We ask that you would speak to us through your word. And uh, Holy Spirit, we, we, even beyond what I can say, God, would you speak to our hearts And Lord, we just want to leave room for you to do what only you can do. God, we don't want this to be a lecture or um, a TED Talk or information. God, we want to encounter you. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, A few years back, uh, I just like sort of told this story to a group of people, so it's like fresh on my mind, but we took a group of students on a mission trip to Philly, um, Philadelphia. There's a neighborhood there called Kensington, and uh, there's a ministry that uh, we have relationship with, and so we were doing this mission trip there, and we're there for about uh, a little over a week, and then at the end of the week, our team was going home, and then I was asked uh, right before, I was literally, we were about to go home, and a friend of mine called me who was in New Jersey, and they were having this youth event uh, that they had a guest speaker and he couldn't make it and he knew I was nearby so he asked me if I could come uh, speak sort of last minute. So um, I was like, okay, I sent the team back and I stayed an extra day. And uh, what happened was the, the, there was a church in Philly that was going to this event as well and so I rode in like this van um, with the band uh, from Philly to New Jersey and got there and uh, spoke. It was, a, it was a cool event. And then afterwards, I was talking to my friend who invited me, and I was like, hey, I found a flight out of, uh, out of LaGuardia, which is like in New York, um, and uh, I'll just go home tomorrow. And he's like, oh, man, it's really inconvenient for me. Um, do you think you could just go back to Philly, and somebody from Philly will just take you to the airport tomorrow? And I was thinking, like, I just got off like a 10-day mission trip, I just rode in a van with strangers from Philly to New Jersey. I just spoke last minute at this event. Um, It's like 10 o'clock at night, and I was hoping I could just go to bed, (laughs) wake up and fly out of, you know, nearby. Um, And instead, you're going to send me back with strangers, another two-hour drive. I'm going to stay at somebody's house that I do not know. I'm going to have to wake up and go to an airport over there because LaGuardia is inconvenient for you. 
And uh, so then he's, he's telling me this, and this random guy, I just met him that day, he's like, um, you can stay with him. This is my friend. He's like, you can stay with him, um, and he'll take you to the airport tomorrow. And the guy's like, oh, sure. He literally, like, he told me, I was talking to him, we were, like, remembering the story this week, and uh, he said he called his wife, like, yeah, that's great. And he, like, called his wife, he's like, hey, um, this random guy is going to come stay at our house. And uh, could you put together, like, a guest room for him? And when I got to the house, I, was st- I stayed at a basement. It was, like, a really nice guest room. I found out this week that they didn't have it set up. She literally, like, pushed a mattress and bed frame down the stairs, set up. Like, there was, like, a, there was like, um, like nightstands by the bed. She set it up, a lamp. There's towels folded. Like, did this whole thing. So my friend in New Jersey was like, ah, it's a little inconvenient. This stranger put together his whole house, him and his wife, for me to stay there. So the question is, who's the real friend, (laughs) right? The person that I knew that was like, ah, it's a little inconvenient, Um, or the stranger who flipped over their whole life in order to get me home, and then he did an airport drop-off, like, which is like the ultimate friend move. Like, if you do it, take your friend to the airport, you like love this person to death, Um, Anyways, like, who's the real friend? And I say all that because this passage shows us who should be our real friend. Who's our real friend? What does it look like? Who should it be? And James warns us in this text against friendship with the world that makes you an enemy of God. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Now, enemy of God is strong language, isn't it? Uh, God so loves the world that he gave his only son. God has a desire to bless your life. You, You can actually, you can live your life that you can actually get in the flow of the favor of God where God is for you, not against you. The Bible promises that, that you can live your life in such a way that the flow of the favor of God, I want to say the flow of the favor The flow of the favor of God can be working for you, not against you. But listen, this is key. You can also get into a position where the flow of God's favor and energy is flowing against you, right? If God can be for you and the flow of his favor can be working with you, this passage tells us that you can live in such a way that the flow of the favor of God is actually against you. Friendship with the world will make you an enemy of God. How does it happen? How does, what, what are we talking about? What does friendship with the world mean? Now, the world, when it speaks in the Bible, it means all sorts of things. Sometimes it means planet Earth. Um, Sometimes it means the collection of humanity. In this context, it really speaks of priorities or activities and patterns of the people that flow away from and against God. So when it talks about the world, uh, first John would say, do not love the world or the things in it. Here it says friendship with the world. The idea is, is groups of people and patterns and behavior that is actively going against God and away from God. So it's living your life in such a way that is actively going away from God and against the things of God. That we can live in, the Bible makes it abundantly clear. This, this is the sort of the direction, the flow of God. <laughs> this is how he's moving. This is how he's working. These are the things that he's about. 
And we can live our life outside of that or really coming against that and away from the things of God. And living that way makes you an enemy of God, it says, and it makes you a friend of the world. So what are some of the things that makes it make us have sort of friendship with the world? Or what does friendship with the world look like? I'm going to give us a couple practical things, um, and then we can sort of evaluate our own lives, and then we'll, go, we'll, we'll call it a day. Sound good? Three quick things. Number one, what does friendship with the world look like? It looks like being unequally yoked. Looks like being unequally yoked. Now, that's probably not a phrase you hear very often. Um, unequally yoked, like all of the like, gym people are like, unequally yoked? Like, what are you talking about? Like all the like, homesteaders are like, like an egg yolk? What are we talking about? Unequally yoked. Listen to this. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 6. Bless you. It says, listen, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Don't be unequally yoked, or don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, the idea of yoke, that's sort of like lost language for us, because most of us don't live on a farm, and we don't like hook up our plow to an ox in order to till the ground and plant our seeds in order to have food uh, come harvest time. Like, that's not our lives, right? Anybody that's their life? No, probably not. Um, so yoking, this idea is, is you, would, you would put a yoke on a beast of burden, like an ox, um, so that it can accomplish the work that you want it to accomplish. Um, and uh, so that's the idea. And it says, don't be unequally yoked. So don't put two animals under the same yoke because they go at different paces, they go in different directions. They have different patterns and different ways of working. And sometimes they don't work together uh, well at all. So it actually makes your life more complicated and makes your, what you're trying to accomplish maybe even impossible. So that's sort of the language that's using. And this can apply to all types of relationships, right? Don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. In other words, we, Shane talked about it last week, up friends and down friends, Right, The people that you can look up to, that can invest in your life, and then people that you can invest into their life. But sometimes when we have people that might be down friends, the people we should be influencing, they begin to influence us, and you can have this idea of being unequally yoked. All of a sudden, the people that we should be pouring into are influencing us or pushing us in a wrong direction. But this can probably most like a... Uh, uh, best applied when we talk about maybe uh, romantic relationships, the idea of being unequally yoked. And a follower of Jesus should avoid romantic entanglements with people that don't follow Jesus. You like my usage of entanglements? I thought that was pretty good. Um, a follower of Jesus should avoid romantic entanglements with people that don't follow Jesus. Flirt and convert is not the best way to do a relationship. <laughs> now, it's not impossible. I, I can tell you, like, two of my brothers, that's their story. It's full-on flirt and convert, marry, and so it's not impossible. I just wouldn't recommend it, right? It, God does miracles, right? It works sometimes, but it's not the best. Why? Because you're, you're going in two different directions, right? 
the, the course of the follower of Jesus and the course of somebody that's not interested in following Jesus is going two different directions, right? Uh, imagine, like, have you ever seen those, those like, uh, uh, student driver cars that has, like, wheels on, steering wheels on both sides and brakes on both sides? Like, imagine you get in one of those cars, you're in the driver's seat, they're also in the driver's seat, and you're like, where do you want to go? And you're like, I want to go to Chick-fil-A. And they're like, where do you want to go? And they're like, I want to go to Checkers. I feel like this is a perfect illustration. So the Jesus follower is like, I'm going to Chick-fil-A. And then the person that's not following Jesus is like, I'm going to Checkers. And you get in your cars, or your car, with your steering wheels, and you st- it's impossible, right? You're going in two different directions. You're not trying to go to the same place. And so what you find is, is, is competition and strife and frustration, and ultimately, you don't go anywhere. You don't get to where you want to go. And so it's important that you recognize that, that if you're a follower of Jesus, the best way to pursue relationships is by pursuing Jesus together. Have you seen that, that example of the triangle? This is like classic youth ministry illustration. But if your life is like a triangle, God's the point at the top, and your life is aiming towards God, and the person you're interested in's life is aiming towards God, you're both going to grow towards God and get closer together. And that's the heart of, of a romantic relationship should be, I'm pursuing Jesus. And some of you, you, you're in a relationship, or you're thinking about relationships, or one day you would like to be in a relationship. The best advice I can give you is pursue Jesus. I'll put it like this. Put yourself in the right place. Because the right place will bring around the right people. And the right people will bring about the right person. Are you hearing me? Wrong place leads to wrong people. Wrong people leads to wrong person. Right place ultimately leads to the right person. Now, if you're currently dating someone who isn't a follower of Jesus, I would just encourage you to set up boundaries in your relationship so that you can pursue Jesus and influence them properly. And if, they're, if they aren't interested, then you should probably end it. If they're not interested, if they're like, no, I, I just like you and I'm really not interested in, in, in following God, or you can find that, that tension. Like, you're like, I feel like I'm getting closer to checkers, not Chick-fil-A. End it. Just call it off. And if you are in a relationship and you're both following Jesus, you should set up boundaries and habits that allow for you to grow in your relationship with Jesus together. Okay? But one of the ways we become a friend with the world is through unequally yoked relationships. The second way we become friends with the world is by uncontrolled passions. Uncontrolled passions. Look at verse 4 in our text. It says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Ask with wrong motives so you spend what you get on your pleasures. One of the ways we become friends with the world instead of friends with God is by being too attached to earthly things. By becoming too attached 
to earthly things. Jesus would say it like this in Matthew 6. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is speaking of is disordered loves where things fall out of the proper balance and we give our hearts to the wrong things. We do this when we're pursuing pleasure or possessions or popularity or even people over personal holiness. It's disordered loves. We're saying my, my life is, what I love, what I'm all about is, is either relationships that I'm in or the position that I'm going to get or the popularity that I want to have or, or, or the power or the money or whatever it is that I'm after. And what it is is the disordered love. Our heart is belonging to the wrong things. Now, it's okay to have passions and desires and drives, but it's not okay when we allow our passions and desires to drive us. That's not okay. Jesus is telling us to be aware, listen to me, of what our heart attaches to. What's your heart attached to? What, what do you feel drawn towards? Maybe it's some secret sin or maybe it's worldly ambition or success. Maybe it's a bad relationship. Your heart is attached to something that it shouldn't be. The Bible calls us to be pilgrims or campers, people that are passing through, not to be too attached to specific things because our home is with God. Listen to me, you're a camper in this life. And one of the things I love about camping is that it's not permanent, right? We don't have to live in a tent forever. You're like, this is awesome. I love, I love going to the bathroom in the, bush, in, the, in the bushes. This is awesome. In the bushes. In the bushes. <laughs> I love it. I love making my own little fire. I, I, I love the mosquitoes, right? Like, like, actually, I don't. And actually, sleeping on the ground is pretty uncomfortable. And I really like my shower. And I love the air conditioning. And so eventually, as fun as that is, you realize, like, I don't belong there. I can't live there. And the Bible calls us pilgrims, sojourners, campers, tent dwellers. Why? Because this isn't permanent. And what happens is, is uncontrolled passions means our heart is attached to the wrong things. And I wonder if there are things in your life today that has too high of a priority in your life and it's taking the place of God. Do you have disordered loves? Like, what are you about? What do you love? What are you obsessed with? What is your heart leading you towards? Is it a disordered love or is it a love of God and a friendship of God that's leading you into the things that he has for you? One of the ways we become friends with the world is by having uncontrolled passions where we have disordered loves. All right, the third thing, final thing, is unasked prayers. This is an interesting a thought that he's presenting. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. A strong language, isn't it? James doesn't pull any punches. His, his little letter, his little book is pretty intense. Like he's like going for it. He was the half-brother of Jesus. He's like, I'm not messing around. This is serious business. 
He's like, you don't have, or you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And then he says, you do not have because you don't ask God. Now, there are things that we desire that are good, but they're misplaced. Friendship with the world, it looks like disordered love, but it also looks like misplaced desires. Meaning, we're looking for things in places you won't find them. He's saying that the desires you have are okay, but, they, but you aren't getting them because you're looking in the wrong places. You aren't asking God. You're looking for things that only God has in places that are absent from God. Right? Like, you're looking for joy apart from God. You're looking for peace apart from God. You're looking for happiness or pleasure or, or, or whatever it is you're looking for. You're looking for it down here, but it's actually up here. <laughs> You're looking in the wrong place. You ever done that? Like looking for something and you're, it's, you're in the wrong room. You're never going to find it there. I find myself looking for things all the time. Right? Because like, I like to leave my things wherever I left them. <laughs> like just here they are. <laughs> but my wife like comes around and puts them away. And so I find myself looking in weird places and I'm like, ah, oh, have you seen this? She's like, yeah. I put it in the drawer where it goes. Like you're never going to find it out there. Why? Because it's in here. Are you hearing me? And sometimes when it comes to, to life is, is, is you're looking for things that only God has, but you're looking for it apart from God. Now, the world has a really good counterfeit, right? The world has good, like, phonies. Like, the world can give you temporary pleasure, and it can give you, like, happiness for a while, and it can make you feel like excited and invigorated and, and wow, this is so amazing and this is so uh, fun and this is, so, this is everything that I want. But it's temporary. It's fleeting. It's not going to last. And so the, 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 the difficulty is, is being able to choose the things that last over the sort of the instant of right now. Uh, of being able to go like, I actually want the, the long-term peace and joy, not temporary happiness or fun. Does that make sense? And so we have to look beyond it. And so you're not asking God for things or you're searching in the wrong, the wrong places. And the problem is, is when we think that the world can give us what only God has. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to close really with just a, a couple questions. When it comes to your desires or your passions or even the direction of your life, do you ask God? I think sometimes we tend to have our plan, have our desires, have our pa passions, have our direction, and then we say, okay, God, make it happen. Ever been there? Like, okay, God, this is the plan. Make it work out. Here's my plan, God, work it all together for good for me. Right? It's like, I know the plans I have for me, God. And it's time for you to make it happen. When it comes to your desires and your passions and the direction of your life, do you ask God? Not for him to just make it happen for you, but to go, God, what, is, what are you doing in my life? God, what are you leading me into? God, God, what is the direction that you have for my life? And then, God, how can I then align myself, my actions, my life, my loves in a way that, 
that leads me into the things that you have for me. Do you ask God? Do you know that prayer actually works? Do you know this? Do you know that prayer actually works? That going to God and asking him and seeking him, he actually wants to answer you. He hears you and he wants to answer you. Now the problem is, is when we go to, our, go to God with like our phony requests. And we're like, God, you gotta do this thing? In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> when really we gotta go, God, what are you doing? What are you leading me in? How can I follow after you? Because prayer actually works. Listen to this quote. This is by a guy named Jeremiah Lanfier. He was a missionary in the 1800s and he was noted to be a part of a revival in America in the late 1800s. He says this, Prayer has divided seas, rolled up flowing rivers, made flinty rocks gush into fountains, quenched flames of fire, muzzled lions, disarmed vipers and poisons, um, marshaled the stars against the wicked, stopped the course of the moon, arrested the rapid sun and its great race, burst open iron gates, recalled souls from eternity, conquered the strongest devils, commanded legions of angels down from heaven. Prayer has brought one man from the bottom of the sea and carried another in a chariot of fire to heaven. What has prayer not done? Listen, God wants to give you the desires of your heart, but not in the sense of what you want, but what you actually need. But you need to seek him for it. You need to seek God. Friendship with the world will keep you from the flow of the favor of God, but you can be a friend of God. You can seek him and you can find him. You can know him and he can know you intimately and personally and he can lead your life specifically into the great plans that he has for you. Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite verses. says, for we are God's workmanship, masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen, prepared beforehand so that you might walk in them. God's got good things that he wants you to walk in, the best things that he wants you to walk in, but they're found in Christ Jesus. They're found when we say, God, I wanna lead, I wanna go where you want me to go. I wanna follow in what you have for me. And God, I'm gonna seek you with my whole heart, with my whole life and allow you to lead me into the best things that you have for me. So we can be a friend of God.